0: Good morning. Stick out your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we continue in our study of one of the best known teachings of Jesus, the parable of the sower. And today we're going to talk about what the parable actually means, Now this is a familiar text, a very familiar text for many of us, and so uh, it is always important for us to pray before hearing the word, but I think it's especially important this morning that we ask God to speak to us through this passage uh, that we would not think that we've just got this text already figured out. And so let's go to the Lord together. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we look into your word. Many of us are familiar with this parable, and so we specifically pray that you would guard our hearts from pride or complacency. Pray that we would not think that just because we're familiar with the text, that it cannot convict us or change us or cause us to repent anew. And so we pray that you would grant to us ears to hear, eyes to see the glorious truths that are contained here, and that the Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of your people in just a very powerful way this morning. We also pray for those in this room who do not know you, pray that the seed of your word would fall on good soil this morning, that you would cause them to be born again. We know that salvation is your sovereign work, Lord, and so we pray that you would save lost sinners for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start by just reading the text, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, and this week we will go through the end of verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So the last time we were in this text, you'll remember we introduced and set up the parable from verses 4 through 10. You'll remember that a parable is a story taken from a real-life scenario that's compared to a spiritual reality in order to illustrate some spiritual truth. And so here Jesus tells a story about a sower going out to sow seed, and that seed falling on different types of soil— but while the earthly story is really simple, like everybody in the crowd, given their familiarity with agriculture and their just proximity to farming in their day-to-day lives, like everybody in the crowd would have understood the facts of the story. But if all you have is the story without any explanation, well, who knows what it means? Is this story about money? Money? Or one's quest for true love. Like it could be anything. And so it's the disciples who come. Look at verse 9. It's the disciples who come and ask Jesus what the parable means. Because they want to know the spiritual truth behind it. They weren't following Jesus for for the show and the the miracles and, and the buzz. They were genuinely seeking spiritual truth as his committed followers. And so to them, Jesus would give the explanation. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. They, in faith, by God's grace working in them, they were genuinely seeking spiritual truth. And so to them, the deep spiritual truths about the kingdom of God behind the parable would be given. But for the majority of the people gathered those who rejected Jesus, either openly, like the Pharisees, or in a more veiled way, like most of the crowd, who listened but they didn't obey his teaching. Well, the parables served a second function of hiding those same spiritual truths from those who didn't have ears to hear. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, For others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so to them, to the crowds, this parable was nothing but a story about farming. The spiritual truths behind the story were completely hidden from them. Which brings us to our sermon for today. What were those spiritual truths that were revealed to the true disciples but hidden from the crowds? Now sometimes you'll be studying the Bible and you'll have to just do some educated guessing Like, I'm pretty sure that that represents that because, well, we see that imagery elsewhere in the Bible and uh, look at how it ties to what was written here previously. And and it's pretty clear from the context that that's what that means. But with the parable of the sower, like, this is one of those cases where really there's not too many inferences for us to make. Uh, Jesus pretty much takes us step by step through the parable and explains to us exactly what it means. Look at verse 11. Now, the parable is this. Now, the parable is this. Jesus is basically saying, here is the answer key. Right? To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Well, here are those secrets. Right? This is the spiritual truth behind this parable. And it starts with the seed. Look at verse 11. The seed is the word of God. That's the key that basically unlocks everything here. The seed is not money. The seed is not one's quest for true love. The seed is the word of God. And that makes sense in this context because just like plant life begins with a seed, well, spiritual life begins with the word of God. Look at how Peter Remember, Peter would have been there on that day when Jesus first explained this parable to his disciples, how Peter picks up on that same connection in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And you say, well, Peter, what is that imperishable seed? Through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so you see that link between the imperishable seed, the word of God, and the good news that was preached. That's what Jesus is illustrating here. So if the seed is the word of God, well then, obviously, the sower... The one who scatters that seed is anyone who proclaims that word of God. Now, most immediately in that context, it's referring to Jesus. Remember that Jesus' ministry was primarily one of teaching and preaching the word. Remember how we saw back in verse 1 of this chapter. But it's not only referring to Jesus, because the sower can be anyone who rightly proclaims the kingdom of God, including, of course, his disciples, right? The disciples to whom he's explaining this parable, the same disciples who are going to be in the next chapter, Luke chapter 9, sent out to preach the word of God. And by extension, the sowers would also include each of us who are his children, uh, to whom the great commission has been passed, each of us whose Responsibility as believers is to proclaim and teach and evangelize the word of God. And so you see how the identification of the seed is the key that unlocks the whole parable. If the seed represents the word of God, then the sower represents the one who proclaims the word of God, and the soils represent those who hear the word of God. But while the seed is the key at the same time we should realize that the seed is not really the point of the parable and neither is the sower. Because there's only one kind of seed in the parable and there's only one sower but there are four different types of soils and that's where the difference comes in. To transpose it to Our context, right? Just think about a Sunday morning sermon. The Word of God is being proclaimed. There's only one sermon being preached by one preacher, but the results, in terms of what the Word of God produces in the life of the hearer, that's gonna vary greatly from hearer to hearer. Why? Well, it's not because of the sower. Or the seed, because the same sower is casting the same seed on all the soils. The same preacher is preaching the same sermon to all the people. The difference lies in the soils. The difference lies in the hearts of the people who are listening. And that's why, on any given Sunday, for any given sermon, you can have... Like one hearer who is being cut to the heart hearing the word of God, the very fragrance of life. And in the same row, listening to the very same words from the very same preacher, you can have someone who's completely zoned out, completely unaffected. Uh, They don't even want to be there. They can't wait for the sermon to be over. The fragrance of death. And again, the difference lies not in the seed or the sower. The difference lies in the soils. Which brings us now to the four soils of the parable, representing four different hearts that all hear the word of God. You've got the hardened soil, the shallow soil, the weedy soil, and the good soil. And so we're going to go through them one at a time. But let me just say this. As we go through the four soils, I think it's easy enough for those of us who are believers to say, well, uh, only the fourth soil applies to me. I'm the good soil, which means that by definition, I'm not the hard soil or the shallow soil or the weedy soil. Well, praise God if that's true, that you're the good soil. But don't just dismiss the other three descriptions as being completely inapplicable to your life. Because first, the other three soils give us opportunities to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith, like the Bible commands us to. Look, I think I'm the good soil, but does my life really match my profession? Or or is my life, in actuality, a lot closer to these other soils? And second... Even among true believers, at least those of us who haven't achieved perfect holiness yet, which is all of us, there's often elements of the other soils in our hearts. That is, even with the good soil that God has given us, like hearts in which his word has truly taken effect, we can still struggle with hardness of heart towards the word. We can still struggle with not being deeply rooted in the Word. We can still struggle with having the cares of the world compete with the Word. We're hardly immune to these things. And so don't just dismiss the first three soils as being irrelevant to you. Rather, honestly examine your own heart as we go through each soil and ask yourself, is there any resemblance? so first let 's consider the hardened soil that 's in verse five. A star went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it so this is seed that falls on the walking paths in the middle of the farmland where the the dirt would be packed down real tight and so uh, the seed just kind of sits on the surface it 's unable to break into the hard soil. And so not only would it get trampled underfoot on the path, but ultimately it would get eaten by the birds. And Jesus tells us exactly what that means in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Because the hearer's heart, it's like that packed down, trodden on dirt... It's hard. Well, the word doesn't pierce through at all. And then Satan and his demons, like the bird, they come and snatch away the word. We probably don't often think about Satan and demonic forces being at work in opposition when the word is being preached. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Whether it's on a Sunday morning or Really, any time the gospel is being preached or taught or proclaimed, the Bible makes it clear that there are these invis- invisible spiritual forces at work. And that squares with what Paul says in Second Corinthians. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, right, referring to the case of those who are perishing, the God of this world, that's referring to Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so one of Satan's works, and surely he's being assisted by other demons given that he's not omnipresent, Uh, one of his works is to prevent people from believing by keeping them from seeing the glory of the gospel. And one of the ways he does that according to this parable, is by snatching away the word that proclaims that gospel. But note that it's not that Satan comes away uh, and—rather, Satan comes and just snatches the word away. It's that Satan is able to do that precisely because the heart of the hearer is already hard. And so the imagery in the parable isn't like there is this soft, good soil that really should be producing a great harvest, but it's like these annoying birds, they just come and uh, they're just digging all into the good soil and taking the seed away. No, the imagery that Jesus gives us here is of this hard, impenetrable soil that's already been packed down. It's when the seed falls on that hard ground that the birds have the opportunity to come and snatch the seed away. And so this is not referring to a person who, like in faith, truly desires to receive the word, but the spiritual forces of darkness are just too much. Now remember that God and Satan are not equal forces. If God gives someone ears to hear his word, that person is going to hear. Like if God is going to save someone, Satan can't stop that in any way, shape, or form. Rather, this parable is referring to a person who just over a long period of time has continually hardened his heart against the word of God. Through sin, through unbelief, through indifference towards God's word. And when the word hits a heart like that, well, apart from God's sovereign intervention, it's just going to bounce right off and Satan is going to snatch it away. That's imagery we see all over the scriptures. That of hardened hearts that in their hardness reject the word. Look at this really vivid picture from Zechariah 7. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard. What is harder than diamond lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. You see that? They they, they made their hearts diamond hard and so therefore they could not hear the words that God had sent through his prophets. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody in this category today. Surely, in a crowd this size, I am. Like, you're unsaved. You know that you're not a Christian. You come to church. You sing the songs. You go through the motions. You, you hear the word preached. You hear the gospel preached. But in your hardness of heart, you reject the gospel. And you continue to reject the gospel. I, I don't need that. that that's, that's not for me. Maybe some other time. And so you hear in in the sense that you are within the range of the sound of my voice and your, your brain is processing those sound waves intelligibly. But the word has absolutely no effect because your heart is so hardened against it. And before you even step out of the sanctuary, Satan comes and snatches away that seed and it's as if you heard no sermon at all. Friend, if that's you, that is a terrifying place to be. Because just like the soil on the path, it just gets harder and harder with each day that goes by, Right, with each person that walks on it. Also, the heart of the sinner gets harder and harder with each day that goes by, with, with each sermon and each Bible study, each time you reject the gospel, whether it's an open refusal, like I don't need this, Or it's just a quiet indifference. That's an interesting sermon. But where are we getting lunch today? And it's just this deadly cycle. The heart keeps getting harder and harder, and the gospel keeps getting less and less relevant. (coughs) If you can relate to that in any way, The good news is that in spite of the hardness of your heart, you are, for whatever reason, by the kind providence of God, you are here this morning. You are listening to this sermon on this text. And so I tell you that today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've heard the gospel a million times before, but perhaps today you'll hear it anew. Like you've never heard it before. That, That you're a sinner. You deserve the wrath of God in hell forever. But Jesus died for sinners like you. Jesus died for sinners like you. And by trusting in his death alone to be made right with a holy God, well, you too can be saved. That you can be saved today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And those of us who are believers, remember that this is a text for us too. Just think about your own heart. Let's think about our own hearts. Do we see any hints of this? Is the hardness of heart an indifference in our soul towards the word of God? You ever leave the service and someone asks you later that afternoon like how was church today what was the sermon about well there's this illustration and there's some really bad jokes and, uh, but it's a sermon uh, and it's this legitimate struggle to remember anything of spiritual value from the sermon well that's a dangerous sign that there might be more of this hardness and dullness in our hearts than we might think. Friends, oftentimes we think of the devil and his minions as uh, being up to no good in these kind of great and grand ways. And so we think about 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We we think of that as these kind of grand evil schemes, but you see, his work can be as seemingly innocuous as a, as a well-timed distraction that causes you to zone out and, and daydream and uh, what was the sermon about again? Oh, these forces of darkness would be plenty happy if during the sermon, you'd just be thinking about what you have waiting tomorrow at work. Well, I got that... I've got the 9 a.m. tomorrow, and the, the, the big deadline's coming up. Maybe I should rush home after church and make sure I get started on that. And What was this sermon about again? Oh, and these forces of darkness would be absolutely delighted if you would think to yourself, I already know this text. I've read this passage a million times. What do I have to learn from this? Because now, not only are you hardening your heart against the word, but now your pride is bubbling over as well. Brothers and sisters, sometimes James 4, 7 resists the devil. Sometimes it isn't so much about fighting the great temptations out there as it is just fighting the simple temptations to take lightly the word of God. And we ought not to be ignorant of Satan's designs. So that's the hardened soil. Let's now consider the shallow soil. Verse 6. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Remember that you'd have these areas with these large sheets of bedrock right below the surface, and so a seed that would fall on that kind of soil, right, the rock, would oh, send its roots down, but the roots would hit up against the rock and so the root system would not be able to develop and because it's so shallow, well, the the plant dies because it can't take in enough water. What's the spiritual truth there? Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. These have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing, they fall away. So this soil represents the person who initially hears the gospel and it really does appear like he has this genuine conversion experience. And he doesn't just receive it. Look at verse 13. He receives it with joy. And so he appears to be this genuinely joyful and just like full of zeal new believer. Like it looks really promising. There's a real excitement there. But at the end of the day, there's no true substance. There's no fruit born. Uh, There was this outward superficial change, what you might be able to see from above ground, but on the inside, like under the soil, well, there's no root. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You've seen people. they genuinely appear to be saved, and there's so much joy and excitement for the gospel and the things of God at the start. Maybe they even get baptized, and they, they join the church, and they're just on fire for the Lord, and that goes on for a season. Look at how Jesus puts it in verse 13, "They believe for a while. But then difficulty set in. Some trial or trouble or persecution comes along. Maybe it's a physical sickness. Maybe it's things not going well in life. Maybe it's a a, a family difficulty. Maybe it's being hurt by someone in the church. Or maybe it's that some cost comes along. Like where being a Christian is going to cost you something. You've got to give something up. You've got to sacrifice something to be obedient to the Lord. And all that reveals that the person never actually rooted himself in the gospel at all. They were never saved to begin with. And so they fall away, and in spite of everything that you saw in them, well, they show that they were never saved at all. All the, the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm was all just superficial, and there was no depth. Now, I want to clarify one thing at this point, because maybe you're asking, well... Is it possible then for a believer to lose his or her salvation? Well, the short answer is no. When Jesus says they believe for a while, he's not saying that they had this genuine saving faith for a season, but then they lost it. He's saying that they outwardly appeared to believe. But inside, there was never any change. There, there were no roots to the plant. And that's evidenced by the fact that they don't endure. Like Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And if they don't endure, well, it's what John's talking about in First John chapter 2. Uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, like if they had been true believers, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And they were never saved to begin with. The shallow soil, I wonder if anybody in this room would fall into this category, where the only evidence of salvation that you could really point to would be things that happened many, many, many years ago. Like, you look at your life now, and you honestly assess it, and there's no spiritual life at all, there's no fruit at all. But you cling to your baptism. You cling to your experience in that college ministry. You, experience, you cling to that, that season of life where it really did seem like you had a love for the Lord. Well, if that's you, it sounds like the seed landed on some shallow soil. And while you once received the word with joy and even believed for a while well, there was never any root. The hardened soil, the shallow soil, let's now consider the weedy soil, verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So here the, the seed gives rise to plants, but... There's all this other garbage in the soil, like weeds and thorns and all that kind of stuff. And so eventually the plants die out because they're choked out by these other things. For a season, perhaps, the the plant and the weeds are able to kind of coexist side by side and grow together. But eventually the weeds just become stronger. They, They take the sunlight. They take the water. They take the nutrients that the plant needs. And the plant dies. And what is that? Well, look at verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So this is the person who, again, shows an interest in the gospel, uh, an interest in the things of God. And again, like the rocky soil, like there seems, there appears... To be some real life there. But what happens? Well the the cares of the world. Preoccupations with this life they take over, and there might be a season, maybe it's an extended season, where this profession of love for Jesus and and holding on tightly to the things of the world, they they kind of coexist, but eventually the cares and riches and pleasures of life dominate like what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. here's the thing. If you've got weeds and you've got your like plant that you're trying to grow, the weeds are going to win out. They're already established and rooted themselves deep into the soil. Like they're natural to that soil. The seed's not, right? The seed's only there because you put it there. Well, in the same way, if you're serving two masters, the master that's not Jesus is going to win out. Because that's what's natural to your sinful heart. And all that other stuff that you're trying to have along with your love for Jesus, well, that other stuff is going to dominate. That other stuff is going to show that you never really loved Jesus to begin with. And for an example of that, we'll look no further than one of the men to whom Jesus is giving this very explanation, Judas Iscariot. Like for a season, for a season he certainly seemed to have spiritual life like he fit in just fine with the other 12 disciples. But what eventually happened, he grew disillusioned. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was choked out by the cares and riches of life give you one more example. Consider Demas. We know a lot less about Demas than we do about Judas. But here's what we do know. He worked closely with Paul for a season. And, and listen, Paul had pretty high standards for who he worked with. You can ask John Mark about that. And so certainly Demas appears to have spiritual life. So much so that he gets a shout out at the end of two different New Testament books, right? Colossians and Philemon. Demas greets you. But what happens? Well, the thorns, they grow strong. They they, they choke him. And so you look at what Paul writes later on. Demas, in love with this present world. In love with this present world has deserted me. Demas was in love with this present world. That's precisely the thorns that Jesus mentions in this parable. Friends, if you profess to be a believer, especially those of you who profess to be saved for an extended period of time, like you're not a new believer, you've been saved for a while, this should be the most concerning of the soils. Like, you've been a professing believer for long enough. Like, you you feel like you've gotten past the whole hardened soil thing and, and even the shallow soil thing. But remember, the weeds, they come later. They come later than the birds. They come later than the lack of moisture. That is, well after the seed that falls on hardened ground is eaten by the birds. And well after that seed that falls in the shallow soil, it dies from lack of moisture the seed that falls on the weedy soil, it's still going strong. And to the farmer, to the sower, like it doesn't look any different from the seed that falls on the good soil. Like that weedy soil can fool the farmer for quite some time. It's only when the good soil begins really bearing fruit and the weedy soil doesn't that you can tell the difference. And the professing believer in love with this present world You can fool a lot of people. You can even fool yourself for quite some time. Judas Iscariot fooled his fellow disciples for three whole years. And so it's this third soil that should really make us examine ourselves because look at what Jesus says in verse 14. And this is really scary. As they go on their way, As they go on their way. And so this is not describing like this dramatic, drastic, sudden fall. As much as this gradual drift. As they go on their way. It's a little bit of compromise here and a little bit of compromise there. A little bit of prioritizing comfort. And a little bit of materialism. And a little bit of the American dream and a little bit of pursuing the good life at the expense of holiness. And a little bit of idolatry that comes into your heart. A little bit of working more, going to church less. And it's like all of a sudden you've drifted miles and miles away from the shore. And that's exactly the warning that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 6. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, just drifted away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. And so consider, friends, it's not just the hard things, right? the, the undesirable things like trials and afflictions and persecutions. Right? Think about the, the seed that falls on the shallow soil. It's not just the hard things that cause professing believers, those who might seem to be genuine but are not, to fall away. Sometimes it's the easy things. Right? It's the desirable things. It's, it's riches and, and comfort and ease and pleasures like the weedy soil. It's those things that cause professing believers, right, those who seem to be genuine but are not, to fall away. And so we've seen the, the hardened soil, the shallow soil, or the weedy soil. Well, last but not least, you've got the good soil. Verse 8 Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, Jesus, what is the spiritual truth there? Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And Obviously, uh, this is uh, where we all want to be. A heart that's received the word of God, a heart that's been changed by the gospel. And this heart, when it receives the word, it produces great fruit, right? This yield of a hundredfold. It's like this absolutely wonderful, great, abundant harvest. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So the heart the good heart, the good soil that's received the word of God, well, that's reflected in a person who is continually producing this fruit in conforming to the image of Jesus through holding fast to the word. And we're reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Plain. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its own fruit. And so the good soil is known by the fruit that it produces. So this is where we want to be, with good soil. But the natural follow-up question, of course, is, is, is how? How do I get this good soil? And the answer is that you can't. You, on your own, you cannot change the kind of soil that you are. Soil can't just, like, change its nature by wanting to be a different kind of soil. In the same way, you can't change your spiritually dead heart by just trying harder to love the Word of God. No, God has to divinely work, right? God has to divinely grant that new soil. He's got to grant that new heart. But friends, that's exactly what he does in salvation, I will give you a new heart. AKA, I will change the soil from the hardened or shallow or weedy soil that you have, and I will give you good soil. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Well, aka, I will cause you to bear fruit. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope. That as, as a result of looking at this text, that you, you do examine yourself with the other soils. Because that's what God's word commands us to do. And I hope that you repent where repentance is needed. I hope that you commit yourself anew to God's word. But most of all, right, brothers and sisters, if after sincerely examining your heart, like you found, find that by God's grace there is fruit... Well, we ought to praise him for the new heart, right? The good soil that he's given us in Christ. Because that's entirely a sovereign work of God. You did not will your way to having good soil, it has been given to you. And so let me close with this. I think there's a danger that we might read the parable of the sower. And just become discouraged by by all these barriers that seem to exist to salvation. Some of them are like nefarious and instantaneous, like Satan coming and snatching away the word. And some are seemingly innocuous and gradual, like the cares of the world and spiritual drift and things like that. And so you've got all these barriers to hearing the word of God. And it's like, okay, well, who then can be saved? But this parable serves us as a really sweet reminder that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because, yeah, you've got hardened soil, like the devil opposes the preaching of the word. But remember, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, including this blinding of sinners. Right? He, he gives them eyes to see what they previously could not. And yeah, you've got this, this shallow soil and those who, who don't endure to the end, well, they won't be saved. But remember that God preserves all his people. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And yeah, you've got this, this, this weedy soil and those who are choked by the cares and pleasures of life, well, they're not going to be saved. But remember that God, when he saves his people, he grants to them that new heart with its new affections. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's not just that we have to produce and kind of will a love for Jesus and his word from, our, from ourselves. No, that's something that he grants us with the new heart and the new affections that he's given us. And so, dear child of God, more than anything, I want you to take comfort. Take comfort even as you hear the word this morning, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The God who saved us, he is much greater than any of these barriers, as daunting as they might seem. Our God is... Our God is much greater, much more powerful than his salvation. And so, dear child of God, take comfort in him. Father, we thank you for the ears that you have given us to hear your word. Lord, we pray that we would not just listen to words from a sermon, but that you would allow those Words who take deep root in our heart, Lord, that we might obey and repent and worship. And Father, we pray for those in this room who would have come in this morning, falling into one of the first three soils, pray that even now you would grant them good soil, that the word that was just preached would fall on good soil, Lord, and produce an abundant harvest of salvation.